0: This is Professor Allen's answering service. How may I direct your call?
1: Tell that lazy so-and-so to get his ass online right now where he loses his unpaid internship.
2: Back to the bin.
1: We, it's time for
2: uh... the Legion of Substitute Podcasters. Is...
3: I call Chlorophyll Kid. I just <laughs> <laughs> oh kid.
1: Oh man, isn't Nobody... that when it like just turns into stone and you like you can't move?
0: Stone Boy. That's, yeah. that's Stone Boy.
1: Done. Yeah. I'm taking. <laughs> you want
2: to be Stone Boy?
1: Okay, that's Stone Boy.
0: Plan. That's his plan for hosting this evening. <laughs> stone Boy powers activate.
1: Jeez. Seems to to me to be the way to go.
0: I'm uh, almost sure uh, Chris has spent his life cosplaying Infectious Lass.
2: (laughs) Which Chris are you talking about?
0: (laughs) Either one. Um, Oh,
2: I can't even remember Infectious Lass.
0: She uh, makes everybody sick.
2: She's a woman. Typhoid Mary. (laughs) Yeah. All right, are we doing an intro? How are we doing this? Are you bringing this in, or are you
1: leaving it all us? I, Yeah, we never did bring it in. No, reason. Well, first of all, wait a minute. Before we bring in the episode, uh, we have a newcomer here, and you know what that means. Oh, boy. Let me get the whip. <laughs> don't, say- forget the ch- don't forget the chains, the manacles. Uh, Why Chris- is
3: there a goat in here all of a sudden? I mean, <laughs> what the hell? Chris, you,
1: you, you know what you have to do. No,
3: no, let's the
0: physical <laughs> bruises go away. Don't worry about that. The physical bruises do go away. <laughs>
3: But the middle the other ones. Mm. Let's see. La 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 la. There is no bathroom. How's that? Here we go. Not bad at all. <laughs> that was very good. Does Cindy do a uh, an Arnold? <laughs> uh, no, she lets me do it, and she tells me it's you know she 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 doesn't tell me it's good, but she just kind of uh, you know <laughs> she doesn't tell me it's bad. So I'm guessing that's how you won her over in the first place. That's yeah, you're right.
0: Nothing else makes sense. <laughs>
1: He,
2: <laughs> was, he wasn't bad, but it was all right. No, nah, that was not bad at all. No, that was actually very good. There, there is no bathroom.
3: <laughs> it's my uh, favorite line from Kindergarten Cop. I don't know why. It just always stuck with
2: me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that and the old McDonald, when he was singing old McDonald, that just, old McDonald had a fun. Yeah, oh, you know. A... <laughs> You're weak. You lack discipline. <laughs> oh, man.
1: So I might as well now say, hey everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and today I'm planning on doing nothing.
3: Uh, I have three dip. assistant
1: <laughs> editors here to take over and, and do all the work while I just kind of listen and enjoy with you. Today we have the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. Hello. The Eternal Intern, Professor Allen.
0: Senior intern, thank you. <laughs>
1: And for his making his back to the bins debut, as you heard from his earlier laws, Chris Franklin. Hello. With maybe the occasional pop in by Cindy.
3: Yes, maybe I'll try. So
1: we've been shooting the breeze here, and some of this may, some of that may end up at the end of the episode. But oh, I'll try and streamline <laughs> it a little bit and <laughs> not have it at the front. Won't be front loaded. <laughs> <laughs> Much Unlike like that, a so, car. <laughs> wanted like take. a certain
0: <laughs> car in Disney World. <laughs>
1: All right, so why don't we do some comics now, because uh, yes. this, is, this is just going to keep going off the rails otherwise. Yeah. So our Marvel book today is brought to us by Air Metal Heroes Sleepwalker Corner.
2: Go. Yeah. And uh, this is uh, Sleepwalker number four. Let me pull up Mike's Amazing World, which we need to plug. It's contractually obligated that we plug it. <clears throat> Sleepwalker number four, cover date of September 91, on sale in July of 91, one whole dollar, The editor was Don Daly, and the writer was Bob Budiansky. The penciler, not uh, Brett Blevins this time, special guest artist Rick Leonardi. The Inca is Al Williamson. The letterer was Tom Wozakowski, and nobody cares about the letterer or the colorist.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Their moms do. Well,
2: they have to. (laughs) Contractually obligated. So our cover is uh, Sleepwalker in Battle with Bookworm. Not the bookworm, just bookworm. So we've got a uh, a bunch of sort of uh, ghostly Amazonians grabbing onto Sleepwalker's leg. Write your own joke. While he's uh, tearing them apart with his reality-warping eye beams. While a little nebbish, hipstery guy is in the back with a book open and the Amazonians are pouring out of the book and the cover copy says, he's lonely, he's literate, he's lethal. And that would be the bookworm. Uh, and thankfully... Uh, since I didn't have a chance to actually write a synopsis for this one, this one's going to be very easy. So our, uh, host body for the sleepwalker, Rick Sheridan, is passing by a scene where some firefighters are trying to get a, uh, <clears throat> street tough out of a tangled, uh, fire escape of some type, and a, uh, apparently homeless woman says she saw the whole thing, and there was a, a, a being with red eyes that came out, and, uh took this guy up and away from him attacking a girl. She saw the whole thing, and the police didn't believe her, but Rick does, because, you know, he's in on it. Uh, so Rick gets home, and he checks the answering machine that he has, and his girlfriend that I call Bitchface, but we everybody else calls Alyssa, <laughs> uh, uh, has left him a message about him uh, participating in a sleep study to find out why he hasn't been sleeping well. That he forgot all about, because he set it up before he made the uh, little agreement with Sleepwalker in last issue. So he uses the answering machine to leave a message for Sleepwalker by drawing a little picture of a stick figure of Sleepwalker, pressing the button on the answering machine, and he says, Hey, you got to avoid being seen for a while, because I'm going to be sleeping with his other people. Ooh. And uh, so he says, if you agree to it, hit the button, and I'll know it's all good. But Sleepwalker has more to say, so he accidentally... Slides the button on the answering machine, and Rick wakes up. He goes to the sleep study, all while lamenting in Stan Lee style that it's too late for him to back out now, because then Alyssa's going to think there's something really wrong with him, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, nobody cares. This this would be perfect on the CW, by the way. <laughs> <coughs> so, <laughs> am I right? Come on.
3: Yeah,
2: you're right. Aly- Alyssa is basically Iris West. <laughs> Oh, she's bitchier than Irish
1: Iris West is. And she's that's a lot of lang. <laughs> Iris West is just fickle.
0: Oh wait,
2: yeah, she well. gets worse. Spoilers. Iris? Oh no, this lady. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, listen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't blame Rick for trying to stay with her though. I mean, usually she's rendered pretty, pretty sexily. Is that even a word? I don't even think that's a word. Uh, that- sexlified. <laughs> sexlified? That's 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 even worse. She. All right, hold on. She's hot. Such so... an eye <laughs> Yeah, you want to put your boots under her bed, Paul? Uh, yeah, I can handle that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you will be the one handling it. She won't. Uh, so we go oh. into the sleep study. Oh, you finally got that joke, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a hip crowd. Oh, I forget you're all older than me.
3: <laughs>
2: oh. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> This is the the trial by fire.
3: Yeah, I got it.
2: That's fine. Alright. So, uh, Alyssa meets the two guys that are going to be covering the sleep study. One of them is your typical blonde a-hole. And the other one is the uh, guy who ends up becoming the bookworm that's on the cover. The nebbish looking guy who you can tell is probably not showered for a while and he's wearing really dorky glasses and the uh, the blonde uh, aide decides he's gonna cut out because it's time for him to have a little date with some girl. It doesn't even remember his name, so you know he's a jerk. Uh, and Alyssa tries to be nice to the guy. I don't even remember what his goddamn name. Is. What's his name? Nelson? I think it's Nelson. Uh,
3: Nelson Gruber.
2: Nelson Gruber. No relation yeah. to Hans. So, <laughs> uh, so Alyssa makes nice with him, and uh, he asks her and says, you know, hey, do you want to have dinner with me? Before, you know before Rick uh, gets out tomorrow or whatever. And she, you know, being trying to be nice, actually, for once, says that she'll have dinner with him. So finally Rick falls asleep, and Sleepwalker comes out, and he's surprised to see other people there, so he tries to hide. But that's when the little uh, machine that's hooked up to Rick's brain starts going all wonky. So Nelson decides, oh, I need to analyze these readings now, otherwise the other uh, blonde a-hole is going to take all the credit for it. And because it's comics, uh, something happens where he boosts the power on the thing and he gets zapped with electricity of some type. And he falls down and he picks up his book and he starts talking about, you know, oh, I almost burned my books. Sounds like, sounds like us comic book guys, doesn't it? He almost lost the books. But as <laughs> he's reading the books about King Arthur. King Ar- that. Yeah, I know. It's like it's a fire. I got to get the books out the window. I don't care about anything else.
1: <laughs> Screw the people. Save my comics.
2: Yeah, I like. I don't know what guys like 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 uh, Gardner and Chris Warden would do. <laughs> it's like, you can only take one long box. You better make a count. So, uh, so he's reading the book about King Arthur. King Arthur suddenly appears in front of him, and uh, he says, uh, you need to go away. And King Arthur, you know, listens to his command and goes away. So because it's a comic and we only have 28 pages uh, he realizes oh whatever i read is gonna you know come to life out of the books so he reads a book on greek mythology and gets on top of a uh flying horse what do they call them pegasus Pegasus. Pegasus. yeah 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 that's that's what i meant Jeez, i was a classics minor uh
1: so So you learned your stuff
2: really well very yeah thank you thank you alan uh so Sleepwalker sees this, and he's like, yeah, that doesn't look right. Something's wrong. So Nelson decides he's going to go bust up Blonde Aholes' date. So he gets there, and uh, he says, hey, you were talking about needing a date, so here, I brought some Amazonians for you. And they all spring to life out of the book that he's reading, and they attack uh, Blonde Ahole and uh, his girl that he's with at the time and they rough him up, and they grab a big chunk out of his hair, which is actually, that's pretty rough. I saw that, I was like, damn, dude, that would hurt. Oh, man. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want that to happen, especially since mine's going away. I think if you got uh,
1: that big a chunk of hair, you'd actually pull scalp out with it. Yeah. Well,
2: I don't think have, you just take
1: hair by that large of a... No,
2: but she does have the sword in her hand, too, so it makes it look like she kind of gave him a real close shave with her sword. So... Uh, as this is going on, Sleepwalker finally appears. He's like, oh, I'm too late. Uh, but he does get there in time to stop the uh, book-sprung Amazonians from killing the guy. And he you know, warps him away with his eye with his beams. And uh, he saves the guy and the girl. And he says, hey, show me how to use the telephone. <laughs> because why not? He's got to leave a message for Rick. Rick wakes up the next day. Sleepwalker disappears. Rick gets home. And Sleepwalker has left him a message on the answering machine saying, hey, there's stuff going on. This guy can make stuff appear, but I'll handle him. Uh, And Rick realizes that, oh, Alyssa's meeting with the the guy right now for dinner. And he's bought her a lovely meal of fast food, which she doesn't seem too thrilled about. I would be super excited. I would make out with the guy if he bought me that meal.
0: (laughs) Best date ever.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. In the library of all places. Oh, yeah. Don't get us started. Well, that's the idea. So (laughs) let me get through the synopsis, and then you guys can go nuts. Uh, (laughs) So uh, Sleepwalker has a drawing from Rick that's a drawing of the library, which is actually a pretty good rendering because, you know, it's a stick figure drawing of a library. And Sleepwalker finds it. He goes in there. And classic comic book dialogue and hijinks ensue. And, you know, the bad guy saying, I am the bookworm and mine is the power of the printed word. I mean, that's just, come on. Guys don't do that anymore in comics, but they should. Uh, So the guy's pulling stuff off the shelves. He's reading about uh, Native American warriors and dinosaurs and tanks. And Sleepwalker is starting to get overwhelmed, trying to whoop all these things away. And so Alyssa realizes there's only one thing that she can do. She takes her brand new diary, rips out a couple of pages and says, hey, if you want to stop him, read this book. And she hands him a blank diary. So with him momentarily distracted, Sleepwalker is able to warp the pages of the diary and some other stuff. Oh, it's a chair. Yeah. Warps the chair around uh, the bookworm, wrapping him up, leaving him for the police, uh, which is good. So, uh, yeah, that happened this issue was not that great (laughs) sorry uh and then we get back to the relationship the cw stuff where uh you know rick and Alyssa are you know worried about their relationship and rick says yeah i don't think i need to finish that sleep study and Alyssa goes back into total uh bitch face mode and says all right we're done what do we you know and rick's all upset about it um because the only person that he can tell about all the wacky stuff going on is his dog. Everybody loves Rambo. Rambo the dog. Uh, the somewhat corker of an ending that you get is that the police decide that they're going to put the bookworm in a room with no printed material, which seems pretty smart. That's like putting Magneto in the uh, plastic prison. So somebody there was, you know, uh, Rep, Rep Levens was thinking that. So by the time he comes back, we see how he gets out, though. But, uh, yeah, this is not the best issue. Uh the Leonardi art, not as good as the Brett Blevins are, because if the Brett Blevins stuff, the wacky stuff would have looked really wacky. Um, but, uh, yeah, why don't I let other people talk now, because I've rambled on far too long. And I know that there's two gentlemen that have a lot to say about library etiquette.
3: Oh,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah Who wants
1: to go one. first?
0: Well, I showed that page. To, uh, I showed that page to Emily. They are eating in the library, not on a bench outside the library, not on a park nearby, not even in the the courtyard. They are in the stacks. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Emily's theory as a as a library employee, her theory is that Bookworm's evil power, it actually arises from the confluence of all the voodoo curses that every library employee has put on him. (laughs) over his years he said years this is his favorite place to eat years of eating food in the book stacks like a barbarian not librarian barbarian
2: going in the librarian
3: (laughs) 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 yeah uh cindy had you know she had a fit i didn't show this page but there's a commercial (laughs) where these these uh uh, this couple's eating chocolate in the library and she was like, you know, almost had an aneurysm on the couch, you know, over it. So I, <laughs> I, I can't imagine she'd be too happy about him eating fast food in the library. So <laughs> uh, There's
2: plenty you know, of but, paper to wipe your hands on when you're done.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, you know, but, you know, but but on the other hand, you know, I, I look at the cover and I have to say that I have to heartily applaud this book, this covers pro-literacy message. I mean, think about it. The idea is that reading can make your dreams come true, even if your dreams are, you know, evil and megalomaniacal. But still, reading is not just fundamental. Reading is a superpower. I like it.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: I would agree with you there.
0: And it does say he's lonely, he's literate, he's he's lethal. Come on, I. you know, I try not to judge. (laughs) But I mean, I'm on summer break, so I'm not currently judging. Um, But who among us, either on this Skype call, on the Tutu Freaks Network, or simply listening to this episode, cannot relate to that caption? He's lonely. He's literate.
1: No, I'm not lethal. (laughs) I'm not literate. (laughs) Yeah, I'm neither (laughs) literate nor lethal. (laughs) I'm not lonely. (laughs) You should be. That's because you know no better. (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, where's ronnie mcdowell that's what i want to know i mean come on where's the patent leather suit and those, yeah i know i was waiting, waiting
2: my... for that to come up <laughs>
3: yeah, the lamp on his light head light on his... On his. Well, <laughs> the music. Well, yeah this... <laughs>
2: Well, it was was 91, you know, he just, he just, he looks like he's going to go see Nirvana next week, you know, that's, that's what it is. He looks actually a little Hank McCoy-like.
3: Yeah, I can see He's getting a Professor Jonathan Crane vibe from him, you know, like he could be Scarecrow or something, you know. Yeah, I guess,
1: I think that's the vibe you're supposed to get. Yeah. You know, that that you really creeped out by him, but it seems like almost there's a mixed message though, because... I think, you know, they're, they're thinking, okay, comic geeks, let's give you somebody you can relate to and then just make him so creepy that you can't relate to him. So, not that we're not that creepy, but we don't think we are.
3: Right. Right.
1: We don't oh, I people. know I am. Well, you got well, to yeah. <laughs> hmm silly. uh anatomy on the sleepwalker. Now, I understand he's supposed to be a little surreal, but... yeah. You know, it, it seems like very, very inconsistent. Now, I don't know if he's supposed to be a character where he his form kind of changes as things go on, because we haven't seen that as part of his power set at this point.
2: No, it's just bad draftsmanship. Okay, because yeah,
1: this... his anatomy is really wonky. Like, the legs yeah. are way too thin and long at points. Uh,
2: he, he is lanky, but, I mean, it's not, there is no consistency with how he's drawn in this issue, and I, I don't know why Blevins didn't do this one. Um... I really wish he had because I I think the anytime the bookworm is conjuring stuff, I think it would have looked far more surreal and a lot better. But that's me.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Uh, I just look at the, the scene the scene where he's going up into the uh, I guess into the ductwork to hide. I mean, look at his body in that picture. That's that's yeah, terrible.
2: Yeah, it's like a Milo Minara. It, it, it looks <laughs> it looks like a child it. Yeah, it's it's not good.
3: This looks very rushed. I mean, I know Leonardi's stuff is very ethereal, but this looks like, okay, you got two days to bang out a sleepwalker, you know? I mean, it's, and and, and I'm not detecting Al Williamson anywhere. I had to, like, go back and see, who ate this? And I'm like, where's Al Williamson in this equation? Yeah,
2: Yeah, he had a very light hand in this. Yeah. Yeah, this, that's a good way of just describing this whole issue. It's light.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the artwork, uh, I mean, yeah, I agree. Because the the, art, the story has no real substance to it. The the best, the the most substantial thing in there is that uh, basically, uh, was it Rick and Sleepwalker? Uh, they kind of find a way to communicate with yeah. each other. that's the most yeah, substantial thing that clever. goes on. That that continues I, 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 on. But uh, as far as the artwork, it's very, you know, I I generally like a thin line. I don't like when they get too heavy on it. But I, I also don't like when there's no shadow work and no shading. And there's some shots here where it's, it's beyond minimal. It's, it's, it's less than it should be. Uh, and and it, it makes the artwork appear inconsequential to some extent. So, yeah, I'm not crazy about the artwork at all. Uh, I don't like the anatomy. I don't like some of the angle choices. Uh, the storytelling isn't particularly strong. You don't feel like you could follow it you know you you there, there are many points where you feel like if you didn't read the words you'd have no idea what was going on yeah
0: yeah
3: so, there's, a, there's one shot like, of sleep I'll go ahead and I you
0: know I like some of what Leonardi's done he did those first 15 or so spider-man 2099s mm-hmm. you know I thought that was solid um, yeah,
1: we, we covered he, the first issue on he, here yeah and and he, I thought it was pretty decent
0: yeah he did he did one of the Convergence minis. I mean, obviously, they were having to pull, you know, a whole lot of artists in for that. I think he did the the Batgirl, uh, the Batgirl one.
1: Now, has his and style? I, I think he's
0: usually. Yeah, my impression is he's usually a little bit better than this.
1: It, it's this is fourteen years ago on on the uh, Convergence stuff. Do you see much of a change? This is twenty four years 24 ago. Twenty four years ago, excuse me. It's like yesterday. I
0: mean, I if you know, I I I do not have any specific you know. Uh, recollections of it being, you know, a, a problem.
1: We, we we talk about you know sometimes house styles of, of certain eras. Uh, this is almost not the Marvel house style of the '90s, but just kind of the general house style of the '90s. This this light artwork with some some strange coloring choices, uh, and and it's one of the things about you know '90s books that I don't like. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the, a lot of the artists who had this style of coming and gone and you don't see them anymore
0: right
1: yeah so you know it's yeah. uh it, it had well, the four issues up. of sleepwalker we've we've gone through so far this this is the this is the least
2: i i would totally agree with you and it's a shame because the premise for the bad guy is a fantastic idea yeah he could be like what, what was a uh, eight ball he could be just like eight ball which that was a lot of fun <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, and I, I I'm pretty sure he comes back. I could be wrong because I remember they show they show him in a padded cell somewhere. Wow! But the best thing about this one is that it ends with Spidey versus Sleepy. It makes you look <laughs> forward to the next issue for that. Yeah, oh yeah, and that would begin the uh, <laughs> the rotating team up that this book becomes for a while. Oh,
1: well, now, have that's you funny. have you seen that uh, Sleepwalker guested on the last
2: four or so issues of the Fantastic Four? I, I have heard, I have not picked them up. I'll wait until they're in the dollar bins. Yeah, he, he's he's not a a
1: featured character, but he's in there. Well he should be featured, god damn it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you know, since you bring up dollar bins, et cetera, I do wanna say that I've seen a number of sleepwalker issues in cheap bins, but out of respect for heroes, sleepwalker corner. <laughs> I have not purchased any of those for the Quarter Bin podcast. I'm letting oh. Chris Tyler take full ownership of Sleepwalker on comic <laughs> book podcasts.
2: Yay! Woo!
1: It's all mine. <laughs> or maybe maybe I, I don't want to sp- speak out of turn here, and I, I certainly am. Uh, <laughs> but uh, perhaps Hiro uh, should be a guest on uh, QBP one day.
0: Look, uh-huh. I let you on once. That was <laughs> that's enough bins, folks. Come on. That's He's not I, a I, bin.
1: So don't be pointing them off on me.
2: <laughs> I don't on don't divulge my form. secret you're plan to burned. be. Don't divulge my secret plan to become a semi-permanent co-host on Back to the Bins. <laughs> oops, oops. And, uh, and if you want me on QBP, I can work clean. So that's all <laughs> I'm going to say. There's
0: no evidence of that yet, but I'll I'll, I'll trust you. <laughs> I
2: have. I, ask me. Sean Engel. It can be there done.
0: There you go. There you go. <laughs>
3: Sleepwalker looks like Jim Carrey's Grinch on, I think it's page 8, panel 2. Oh my
2: two. god, you're right. <laughs> it does.
3: <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Where are we looking here? I think it's, uh, is it page 8, page panel 2? Uh, page, yeah, page 8. Yeah, it's when when uh, the guy's looking at the the readout of the... He's Rubber's about looking... to zip up into the, into the ceiling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like, boom. <laughs>
2: Like, they didn't even put the eye grid on it. They didn't even give them the insect eyes. It's just red eyes. Like, it's I think this I always... ha- it, it had to have been a rush job because, I mean, th- the backgrounds in this book so far haven't been super detailed to begin with, but they're really, really lacking in this issue. I mean, they're basically just color blobs, which we might see in another book coming yeah, up. But
3: I was going to say they got more than another comic we might be talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so...
2: What do you rate this thing? Uh, I I'll give it a C across the board, C minus across the board. Excuse me.
1: C minus across the board. No no uh no explanation of the uh, of the grading.
2: It's a it's a weak story. It's clearly a fill in issue, and the cover isn't all that great. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna break
1: it down a little bit more than that. Uh, the cover. I feel like the cover's are alright. I don't think it's terrible. Uh, it almost looks like it could use some dialogue, which is something they weren't doing at this time. You know, that, that's more of a 70s trope to put the dialogue. Well, the
2: last issue had dialogue
1: on the cover, but uh, it, it feel it, it feels like if there was some some real corny dialogue coming out of Bookworm's mouth, that it might it might make this seem like it's going to be more campy fun, which is what you'd be hoping for from this issue. Yeah. Uh, but I I think it's okay. I don't think it's Terrible. I think it's better than the artwork and the interior, so I'd say a C for the cover. The interior art, for the reasons we talked about, it's it's insubstantial. The the anatomy is terrible. Some of the storytelling choices are bad. Uh, I'm gonna say a, a D, almost an F on the uh, artwork. Uh, we don't really see much of Al Williamson, but I think he's he might be what's saving it for an F from an F, because you know, just knowing other work that he's done. Uh, he he probably brought this up a level, uh, so so he 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 brought it up to a D, which uh, you know you can only do so much when you're handed shit, I guess.
3: <laughs> you can't polish a turd, Davis. Yeah, exactly. Or put lipstick well, you on a can.
1: <laughs> you can, but you gotta get messy. <laughs> but he, you know, the the and the story is forgettable. It's not the campy fun it should be. Uh, Again, the only clever thing I thought was the, that they find a way to communicate. But other than that, th- there's really nothing to it. You could skip this whole issue, just go on to the next one, and, and you're not going to feel like you missed anything at all. So I'd say a D for the story as well, and I'll give it overall. Based on the cover lifting it, I'll give it a D plus.
0: See, I like the cover a little bit more than that. I gave the cover a B. I like the colors. I like the sort of – and I, I, the background is detailed enough for me. There's a nice sort of mishmash of techniques going on where Sleepwalker's eye beams are hitting, and uh, I'm sorry, he's lonely, he's literate, he's lethal. That just works for me. So the so I mean that describes me. So the covers a B, <laughs> the the art and the story below average C minus E. I guess I'm an easy grader. It's summer, you know, whatever. <laughs>
3: uh, His grading days are over for now.
0: Exactly. Overall C.
3: Uh, you know, I like the, the cover's okay. It's, it's kind of average. I'd, I'd give it a C. Um, the story, you know, it, it was entertaining, but the, the stakes just were never, they never seemed very high. I mean, the sleepwalkers, Eye beams like instantly took care of the, 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 his creation. So it's kind of like, why is this guy really a villain for him if he's not a challenge at all? So that, 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 uh, that kind of took some of the, some of the, uh, you know, the oomph out of it for me. So I'd, I'd give it a C. Um, the artwork I'm, I'm going to be nice because I, I think the Leonardi on other stuff I like. Okay. But the, the layouts are kind of hard to follow, but there's some dynamic, um, you know, camera angles and stuff there that I kind of like, but it's just, it looks like he just like cranked it out in over a weekend and Al Williamson, like, you know, took a, a pin to a couple of, Pages and thickened up a couple of lines and added some shadows. So I'm going to give it a C minus. Uh, it probably should really be a D, but I'll be nice. So overall, I'd give it a C. All right. That's,
1: uh, I guess that's all fair. Can't 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 argue with anybody's point of view on this. Uh, so we might as well shift on. Oh, you know what? Just one one more thought on this one. <laughs> I hated the '90s tendency to throw ponytails on people all the time. <laughs> You know, I mean, I know they were more popular then than they are now, but it wasn't like Paul, I'm right here on the
3: call.
0: What? Do you you not have to insult me? Can you wait till another episode that I'm not on to insult me for having a ponytail in the 90s?
2: (laughs) But you're a professor.
0: It's expected. (laughs) You know,
2: honestly, did you?
3: (laughs) Just for a little while.
0: Was it a
1: mullet or just a ponytail?
3: Michael Bailey says it's not a mullet. Well, it's, no, he's not. Clear.
1: Man didn't have a mullet. He's never said
0: anything about <laughs> Professor Allen. Uh, it was mullet-like. That's all I can say. And, and, and that's
1: not, not a denial.
0: Honestly, I'm. Not, I, I
1: although I am not a fan of ponytails on men, I don't think it's a real good look. Uh, Why are you looking at men? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are clearly. No, <laughs> I'm saying it's a stylistic choice. I would never make. Uh, but it wasn't like every other guy out there had one, and yet in the comic books, I guess in the effort to, you know, for them to try and be cool, they started putting them on so many people. It was there was a much higher percentage of comic book characters with ponytails than there were real people. That's my point. So it was a tendency I just didn't a comic tendency that I didn't enjoy. But you know, perhaps the thought of Professor Allen in a ponytail will make me even more adver- averse to it.
0: As as well it should. <laughs>
1: so time to move on to our dc yeah okay. maybe we'll maybe we'll cleanse ourselves, clean cleanse <laughs> our palate of 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 sleepwalker number four and move on to something a little different
3: okay well uh, i've chose i have the dc book and i chose chose the flash number 175 from december 1967 according to mike's amazing world it's on sale october 19th 1967 uh the cover uh, there's, there's some discrepancy online on who did the cover. Um, I kind of think, I, I, I don't want to disagree with with Mike's Amazing World, but I kind of tend to think that, uh, that Grand Comics Database is right because they apparently have access to Julia Schwartz's notes and they say that the artwork was by Carmine Infantino and Mike Esposito or Mike's Amazing World says it's by Al Plastino. I, I kind of think maybe Plastino may have touched up Superman's face as he was wont to do even over Jack Kirby later. Uh, But that looks very Infantino to me, so I'm going to go with that. Um, uh, The cover depicts an alien landscape in space uh, where the Flash is racing with Superman. The Man of Steel, he appears to be winning with the Flash saying, Superman, I quit. I can't beat you, to which Superman responds in Super Dickery speak. I finally got you. you to admit you're not the fastest man alive, Flash. And then a caption box reads, Flash vs. Superman in the super speed rematch you've been waiting for. Race to the end of the universe. And that's the name of the story, The Race to the End of the Universe. E. Nelson Bridwell is the writer. Ross Andrew was the penciler. Mike Esposito, the anchor. And, of course, Julius Schwartz was the editor. And I have a detailed synopsis. So uh, this might be a, a Dr. Bill type synopsis. So we'll oh, see.
1: God. <laughs> <laughs> you know we love our Dr. Bill synopsis. Is, is, is. No, we
3: Synopsis. Don't. synopsis. Uh, okay. In his role of police scientist, Barry Allen learns his old foe, the Weather Wizard, is going to attack the Central City Power Station. Barry arrives as the Flash and is stunned when the Weather Wizard's lightning is stopped and his own thunder is stolen by Superman himself. A very emasculated Scarlet Speaster is less than happy to have the Man of Steel horning in on his home turf but Superman insists Flash contacted him on his Justice League signal device. Later at home with his wife Iris, Barry wonders if Superman isn't angling for a rematch, since their last race for charity ended without a clear victor. The next day, a similar event happens in Metropolis when Flash responds to another JLA signal and time to help stop a mob execution Superman had stumbled upon. Once again, the two heroes argue like dogs fighting over who whizzed in which yard, but yet another JLA signal comes through and the two rush to answer it. At the Secret Sanctuary, the full membership of the JLA is in attendance, plus hanger-on snapper car. There are also two unwanted visitors, Rock and Sorban, two alien gamblers from the planet Ventura that Superman and Batman have tangled with before. It seems these dopey-looking refugees from a filmation cartoon lost money betting on the previous race between Superman and The Flash, and they demand a rematch, a race to the end of the Milky Way galaxy and back. As incentive, they threaten to destroy central city if Flash loses and Metropolis if Superman loses. If they refuse to participate, both cities will be destroyed. Flash doesn't believe that they have that kind of power, so they demonstrate their might by destroying a planetoid that may or may not have been the giant salami probe from Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. (laughs) Hot-headed Green Lantern has had enough of this, but he's soon disabled by a yellow energy beam. Of course he is. Likewise, the other leaguers are immobilized, leaving the Crimson Comet and the Last Son of Krypton no choice but to participate in Rock and Sorban's deadly race. Wait a minute, no, choice. In a vacuum of... yeah. no choice? No choice,
1: as opposed to say, oh, we can fight them. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> this is true. Well, right, okay, so there was, there was one other choice, technically. There was one yeah, other right. choice. <laughs> Taking care of the Flash's inability to breathe in the vacuum of space with some wackadoo pseudo-science that provides him oxygen, Rock and Sorvan prepare to start the race. Snapper Carr is forced to fire the Stark pistol, but unfortunately not at himself, and the two oh. heroes are off, with the lives of their cities and their friends and loved ones at stake. Dozens of light years into the race, Superman is forced to take a detour while Flash runs through a red solar system, which would of course rob Superman of his powers. On his detour, the Man of Steel passes Rock and Sorban's home planet of Ventura. With his telescopic vision, he spots an erupting volcano and something even more startling. Rather than save the thousands endangered by this disaster, Superman, in perfect Zack Snyder style, rushes off to tell Flash to call off the race. (laughs) Meanwhile, Flash investigates a drifting spaceship only to find it to be an alien planet, an alien plant creature out to suck carbon monoxide out of humanoids. On Earth, a frustrated Rock and Sorban observe Flash's escape from this trap while Green Lantern wonders why Sorban is rooting against the man he bet on. Using sign language in the vacuum of space, Superman tries to convince Flash they need to stop the race, but Barry ain't buying it. On Earth, Rock and Sorban are surprised to find the Man of Steel charging towards them. They produce a piece of gold kryptonite which will rob the Man of Steel of his powers permanently. It does rob Superman's powers from the Martian Manhunter, they use this shape-shifting power to confuse his captors and Martian science to change the gold cave to lead. Rock and Swordman re-imprison the Martian as the race continues. After several more perils with Superman providing assistance, Flash still hasn't gotten the message but he has succumbed to fatigue and rests on an alien world certain he has doomed his city and his loved ones. Just then he receives a strange message from an unseen friend while Superman becomes trapped in a space vortex. With his heat vision, he etches the message to Flash on the planet below, and the Scarlet Speedster comes to his aid. The two heroes emerge from the broken vortex and head toward Earth. The leaguers observe their monitors while the heroes cross the finish line. As they charge the sanctuary, Rock conjures a horde of demons, despite never showing any magical powers before, while Swordman uses super speed against the Flash. The heroes make quick work of their foes and reveal their true identities as Flash's foes, Abracadabra and Professor Zoom, a.k.a. The reverse Flash. And not Harrison Wells. Then the info dump begins. (laughs) Superman knew these weren't the real rock and sword band because he observed them betting on the volcano eruption on their world of Ventura. But he still didn't stop to save anyone. Green Lantern used a plot device from a previous solo story to muster reserve power from his discharge ring to boost Aquaman's aquatic telepathy, which allowed an alien fish to converse with Flash and finally convince him the whole race was a sham. Although Cadabra cut off Flash's oxygen, Superman restored it with air he sucked in while in Ventura's atmosphere, moments before he heard thousands die below him. In all the commotion, the two heroes never noticed who won the race. Opinions differ amongst the leaguers, so the heroes break the fourth wall and ask the readers who they think won, while little Grant Morrison pees his pants. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh!
2: I, I, if you didn't tell me this was Enelson Bridwell, I'd be like, "Did Haney write
0: this thing? <laughs> this I thing is awesome." Until alien fish, that's that's where I jumped off. Alien <laughs> fish. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. Well, you know, E. Nelson is kind of the anti Bob Haney. He like is so into continuity. He's like uses continuity that nobody would ever. Want to use even Roy Thomas would say, I ain't using that, you know. But, <laughs> but his stories are just as nuts, which is which is fun, you know. that's what makes them so fun. <laughs> so, what oh, you guys man. think? <laughs>
1: yeah, I thought this was dopey fun from beginning to end. And and it, you know, I mean, it's 1967, comics had a different tone back then. Uh, you know, we, we've talked so much in the last few months about DC, Silver Age, Bronze Age, whatever. This is. This is the Silver Age. Marvel was in the Silver Age too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Silliness was, you know, I mean, Marvel was a little more serious than this and, and, you know, some of the the plot devices in this, the way they they disable the uh, League so easily and the fact that Superman and Flash go along with what they're doing and just, just you know. Oh, look! I just saw them. They're betting on the volcano. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just some ridiculous stuff. But, but you, you, you're not supposed to read it and think too seriously about it. This isn't the Dark Knight, um, <laughs> right? No, he smiles it, in this. <laughs> from from, from a, a a reading it point of view, this, this I, I smiled I smiled throughout the whole thing. I enjoyed the heck out of this thing. Uh, so story wise, I, I really, really just got a huge kick out of it. Art-wise, it, I found it really interesting because uh, Ross Andrew, like the Ross Andrew here in 1967 as compared to Ross Andrew five, six, seven years later when he's drawing Spider-Man, what what yeah. like, what like growth he had as an artist. Right, yeah. You, you know, you could really see he, he became much
3: better. Right. I,
0: uh, there was a lot of – I didn't – I was not in love with uh... – the look of Superman.
1: Much yeah, in this yeah, and, and I'm wondering how much how much of a heavy hand Mike Esposito might have had on some of the facial stuff with Superman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. even 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 uh, some some of some of the, I'm just looking through it on uh, page four at the bottom where he's. Uh, Taking off his Clark Kent uniform. Now I know yeah. the word balloon is covering part of his head, but he really looks like he's got kind of Down syndrome in that picture. <laughs> he does have derp face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and,
3: you know, to... and I
1: apologize to anyone. I, I don't mean to offend them with that. It's just that's what it appears like.
2: Or, it's it's or, more like it's more like oh, surprise rectal exam face. That's what that is. <laughs> or cut, you know, cut to page
1: six, the first panel. He he looks like. Uh, Johnny Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> what are you
3: doing? Horning him on a there, Flash? Uh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're both... His
1: face is inconsistent throughout, and it's 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 rarely good. They're yeah. both super beefy in this too. Like I well, I never pictured the Flash
2: being beefy. Well, cut, yeah, to, actually... the,
1: cut to the bottom of uh, page fourteen, the last panel. That's that's big big and large shop Superman.
3: Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's, he's going for the 2xl in that one
3: you know apparently th- this is the first issue that carmine infantino didn't draw the flash there's if you look at the letter page uh it actually has a letter from him saying he's you know he's he's been he, i think he got promoted to art director at this point and soon he'll be you know publisher but uh he picked andrew and esposito to to, to replace him but apparently there was a huge backlash against them uh, uh the tomorrow's flash companion covers this and there's a uh, the last back issue had an article uh, on Flash in the Bronze Age, and I mean, apparently it was just like letter after letter of people just complaining they didn't like the beefy Flash. They even said yeah. that he's too beefy; he's not lean and lit enough. And and uh, it, so yeah, they uh, they you know they replaced him with Herb Novik eventually, and and he stayed on it forever. But yeah, they and they did some Superman around this time too. So I, I guess this is probably not too long before they they were off Wonder Woman and they shifted over to the. Uh, The, uh, you know, karate chopping powerless Wonder Woman. So, Mm. yeah, but uh, I I think when they went to Marvel, uh, especially Andrew, it seems like he maybe took stock of what was going on in the comics because he seemed to adopt a little bit of that Neil Adams, Dick Giordano sheen to his artwork as compared to it here,
1: you know. Mm When I, when I think of, of of Ross Andrew, I think of Spider Man with Ross right. Andrew, sure. And, and the strength to me of the Ross Andrew Spider Man art was the action sequences. Mm-hmm. I, I always felt that he drew a real good fight scene. Uh, he you know he would he would go for some dynamic angles on it. He would usually have the anatomy pretty well rendered. Uh, his faces always had a, a very distinct Ross Andrew look to them, but I was okay with that. His Peter Parker looked right. Um, this this is, like I said, I think this is maybe a in development, Ross Andrew. I don't know how long he had been drawing at this time. I think he actually started sometime in the 50s, though.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they'd been on yeah. Wonder Woman for a long time. I mean, like, back since... I think they, they even started drawing Wonder Woman while H.G. Peter was still working on Wonder Woman, the original artist. Uh, so they had been, and then they did the Suicide Squad and the, uh, and the Metal Men. Uh, they'd been a team all through the years, but... There's definitely there's there is a big shift when they when they move over to Marvel, but their stuff is it kind of makes sense that they were were a success at Marvel because you can see here this is more dynamic looking than most DC Silver Age stuff, uh, except maybe Infantino. There's more you know there, there's more uh, variation in camera angles. There's there's more figures flying towards you and forced perspective and than than what you get in a lot of DC. Titles of this time, so it, it makes sense that they that they found that success at Marvel when they left DC.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I, I, I would agree with that. I, say, I, I I don't know what the
3: standard was of this you no know,
0: for this era in terms of Superman, but there are some shots where his cape is really short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On page six, seven, eight. I mean, it is barely
3: covering. you know, he barely gets to his belt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm> looking <laughs> at,
1: on, on page eleven, same thing.
3: He it's See. like he put crypto's cape on. It's like he couldn't find his cape and he grabbed cryptos and put it on It's it's dainty. Yeah. I mean, you could
0: say Actually, at, least, <laughs> at least it's consistent. But <laughs> he sent
2: weird. Jimmy Olsen to do his laundry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and I I I do like that, you know, when they when the aliens were, you know, were capturing the Leaguers, at least they had the decency to tie up all of them as opposed to just tying up Wonder Woman, which would be the standard for the era. Yeah. You know, I am That's glad right. they bound all of the leaguers as well, at least to, you know, hide the fact that, you know, they really just wanted to tie up Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> if
2: you could manage to tie up Wonder Woman, why do you, why are you even bother with setting the Flash and Superman <laughs> on some crazy conquest?
3: Well, why did Abracadabra and Professor Zoom, who have never been able to beat the Flash by himself, involve Superman and the rest of the Justice League and their plan to destroy him. I mean, if you think that way, it's like this makes absolutely no sense. It's a whole lot of fun, but it would have made more sense if they really had been Rock and Sorban. The, the The reveal at the end kind of right. like, it, it just makes you go, wait a
2: minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. I was like,
3: what? <laughs> oh, it's going
2: to be one of those issues. Ha ha. The right ahead of us. Oh, man. <laughs>
3: I don't know how much of you guys read of, of E. Nelson Bridwell's Super Friends. He wrote like the entire Super Friends series based on you know back in the 70s based on the the cartoon, and uh, he that's actually a really fun book to read because he, of course he is you know known as the the DC and he was Mark Wade before Mark Wade was Mark Wade, uh, and he knew every single fact about especially Superman, but like all DC characters, and he would pull some of the most obscure facts from old comics and put them in Super Friends and he had to make it work as if Super Friends took place on Earth One. No other comic acknowledged the fact that there was a Super Friends and a Hall of Justice but that comic. But uh, to him that was a legitimate Earth One comic book and he would pull things like this all the time where he would pull obscure characters from one issue of like these guys are from one issue of World's Finest like number 150. And he would, he, you know, he would create whole stories and he would have a, a a twist at the end where here's an even more obscure character I've you know, put in here or something. And it's and with a footnote. So this is this is kind of uh, he was uh, Mort Weisinger's assistant editor at this time. Uh, and he ended up being Julia Schwartz's assistant editor. Uh, so this is kind of, you know, a, a, a draw run for his Super Friends comics, if you ever read any of those. But They're a lot of fun. Yeah. Also, a,
0: there, there's also a mention there. I mean, to me, the story gets points off a for using super ventriloquism, <laughs> and b I say, I give for it pointing out that most that ventriloquists don't actually do ventriloquism, but Superman actually does. Yeah. It was a very insane explanation. Yeah.
2: I thought I thought he was going to drop a line in about that not just being sign language but super sign language.
0: Right.
3: <laughs> Kryptonian sign language. Ah, I learned it in the Bottle City of Kandor and I taught the Flash. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course Superman, let's the volcano erupt on Ventura. <laughs> and I kept going back to look for Superman and say, I rushed back to Ventura and stopped the volcano from erupting. But no, it never says that yeah,
1: they're not. would have forgotten they're about it. They're not Kryptonians,
3: you know, yeah, he, he was, he would have violated the prime directive if he interfered, you know, in the development of Ventura. So, you know, <laughs> although,
0: although interfering with uh, alien fish seems to be okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Here's another. Here's another thing. They had access to gold kryptonite. <laughs> Why didn't they paint it to look like a ruby or something, and you know, leave it for Clark Kent or Superman? Like, you had gold
3: kryptonite.
0: Well, that story comes up about twenty-one pages short, Chris.
3: That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my
1: power ring doesn't work on anything yellow, so I'll have to let Superman die. <laughs> <laughs> it,
2: that sounds about right
3: yep and Martian Manhunter I love how he he just the, the flames weren't enough to keep him from being able to change into Superman but but the Kryptonite when he changed to Superman the flames didn't bother him at all because then he suddenly had Superman's powers so his shape shifting ability gives him all the powers of who he turns into it's like uh, that uh, so handy. that's very handy yeah <laughs> But according to this, the way I read this, he can't become Superman again because he's been robbed of his ability to turn into Superman by the Gold Crips Knights.
2: <laughs> I mean, it makes some sort of sense, I
3: some guess. pseudo-sense, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remembered this one. I'm like, this is a fun one to do because I was in a Flash mood after watching the, the, the season finale of it. So I was like, I need a Flash comic to... To, to come at them with so i thought this one would be fun i like this one better than the first race which the first race is just like a bunch of gangsters trying to 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 stop them along the way it's like you know it's almost like the old bugs bunny and the 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 turtle the tortoise cartoon you know it's, it's mm. basically what it amounts to this one's more fun but what the hell is the flash running on i mean <laughs> uh uh <laughs> i know they fixed the you know the ox okay you can if you can buy the oxygen thing okay but What's he running on? That in, in the next space, one Space Dust? Space, space Dust, space. there you go. In the next one, they the guardians give him some kind of doodad that basically creates a green lantern beam. But I, you know, when I read that, I'm like, that he can run on, but I'm like, he's got yellow boots on. Uh. <laughs> he, falls, he falls straight <laughs> through. <laughs> Cause you guys yeah. covered a flash recently where he's like on angel dust. Yeah, uh, and and he like you know on the cover he's like kicking Green Lantern in the face with his yellow boots, which I always love that. I, there's a there's a Teen Titans uh, where Robin, New Teen Titans where Robin puts his cape over Green Lantern's ring and punches Hal right in the face. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I don't love it. He yeah. probably deserved it. He did. should have
2: put it over his face and let Tom Kalamaku punch him in the face. <laughs> Because they, I did they, see the pie face reference in
3: here. Yeah, a there's a pie face reference in this one. Yeah, that's how, That's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. but uh, Rob Kelly would be happy to know that Aquaman gets to, you know, get his powers boosted and communicate with with the uh, alien fish. So, so there's that.
1: Gotta love the alien fish.
3: Yeah. Atlantis's jurisdiction really extends quite a ways. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so what you guys have on a grade on this one? Well, it's your book. You started. Oh, okay, okay. I'll do it. Uh, so the cover, you know, I would give this one an A minus. It's it's an iconic image. It's, even though Superman's a bit off, his his chin's a bit big, but uh, this is Flash's book. So it, it, you know, you can't argue with the Carmine Infantino design cover from the Silver Age. I mean, there's a reason why he designed a lot of the covers, like clear up through. The Bronze Age, he was still designing covers, you know, and fixing covers for people. I mean, he's just probably the best, probably the best designer that ever worked in comics as far as like covers and and things like that. Uh, The story, yeah, I'm going to, I'm probably going to, you know, I I was going to give it a a C, but it's, it's, it's too fun. I mean, it's crazy. I'm going to give it a B minus because it's, it's a def, it's above average because it's, it's wonky it's, uh, it feels like it's a it's a DC Silver Age comic on steroids or crack, whichever one you want to pick. Oh, jeez. So, so, uh, I'll give it, a, I'll give it a, a, a B minus on that. Uh, the art, I'd give it a solid B. Um, uh, I like the, uh, they're a little beefy, Flash a little beefy, Superman's looks a little off, uh, but it's, it's real dynamic. You can follow it well. And, and, uh, I'm, I just like Andrew and Esposito. So, uh, so overall what would that be let's see that's uh it's probably a, a B I'd give it a b so
1: all right um I like the cover I think it's kind of indicative of the fun that you're gonna get inside I think you know you, right off the bat you can't take it seriously uh, I agree Superman's face doesn't look quite right uh, maybe there's a little el Plastino on that I think you're right it looks like Carmen infantino to me so I think you're right about that um I think the cover overall is so, you know, it's pretty solid. It's a B. Uh, story-wise, I, I, you know, clearly, I'm willing to give a, a lot of uh, a lot of leeway for the fact that it's just stupid fun. Uh, <laughs> and
3: I'm
1: and I'm not taking it seriously because I think if I took it seriously, I'd have to give it an F. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but 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 not taking it seriously and just treating it like the fun story that it is. Uh, it, it made me smile throughout, so I'm I'm gonna just give it a B also. Uh, but the art. I'm not that crazy about the art, um, especially Superman's face—the beefy look. Some of the positioning when he's flying just doesn't look right. Uh, I'm willing to give to not not hold the cape against him because for whatever reason it's consistent that they drew it that way. Um, it, you know, again, it, to me it looks like Ross Andrew developed you know quite a bit between this book and by the time he got onto Spider-Man, uh, and it shows. So I'm gonna just give it a C on the artwork, and then overall I'll give it a B minus. Okay. All
2: right. <clears throat> um, this is uh not my kind of art, and not really my kind of story, uh for the most part. But I also realize where it's coming from and the scope of comics at the time. The uh the cover, other than the the faces, is is pretty darn good. I I'll get I will give the cover a B minus. Uh, plus, it has a great example of Super Dickery on it that Chris <laughs> mentioned. So, and I'm a big fan of Super Dickery. Uh, can't get enough of that Super D. Um, so the interior art is, is uh, I mean, I can't draw. But, you know, we've mentioned that's not a reason to not critique something. I I got to go. It's, I'm on the line between D and C minus on the art. It's just it doesn't work for me. Uh, There's there's too much wonkiness panel to panel. Uh, The story, I I, I did have fun reading the story. It's not the kind of thing that I would particularly go for. um, But I do like a lot of... I mean, Silver Age Marvel is probably my favorite stuff. This is very different than Silver Age Marvel. It's Silver Age DC. Um, That being said, where my book took like three minutes to read, (laughs) this took like 15 minutes to read (laughs) because every (laughs) panel had... Stuff to look at and stuff to read. Uh, I had I did have a good time reading it. It's crazy as all get out. Uh, but there's definitely a lot worse books that you could read. So I will I will give the uh, story a C minus. So what does that give me? Uh, Cover was what uh, B minus? Is that what I says? C minus? Uh, what is that like? That's like a I don't know. I can't do this. It's I like need a to calculator. It's... Yeah, sure. It's a C. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Don't look at me. I'm on vacation.
2: Yeah, my workday ended at 5, so.
0: <laughs> my workday ended a couple weeks ago. Jerk. Now, it, now I like, this is, like uh, like uh, Chris Franklin pointed out, this is great timing. You know, we're, we're reviewing this just a few days after the Flash finale. So pleasantly disposed towards all things Flash. We also had that uh, recent photo shoot of Flash and Supergirl. Yeah. So, you know, I, I hope yeah. maybe in a year or two we see this, you know, this crossover uh, happen between Flash and, and Supergirl. And also this idea of the aliens pitting these two uh, powers together with their cities at stake. Uh, that is Convergence. So yeah.
3: well, that is the true.
0: exact premise of Convergence. You're so, right, yeah. Great uh, Great timing here. Uh, the cover's a B. I, I, I think it's good for the era. Some good motion, some good drama uh the inside art is problematic as as we've all said uh you know Chris Franklin did point out so there's st- some dynamism, some experimentation uh but still I think it's a bit below average c minus story a weird premise, but again, I like it points off for super ventriloquism, but <laughs> <laughs> I was in good enough a mood to give the story a b for a b minus overall,
3: all right.
1: All right, and just as a, an aside, uh, Chris, I thought you did a really good job of, of uh, synopsizing it. So, Oh uh, well, thank you. Point, points to you that you weren't willing to take when you started.
3: You were comparing
1: yourself <laughs> to Dr. Bill, and, I mean, you know, come on. No,
3: that,
2: we'd still be going if it was Bill. You know about, me. About page three now. Yeah.
3: Cindy gets on me for writing, like, you know, 12 pages of notes for every Supermates episode. So, <laughs> and, and Cindy still hear us? Uh, no, she's in the other
0: room. Uh, then sorry.
1: she doesn't know what she's talking about.
0: <laughs> I think this kid's got a future in podcasting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there, are, there, are no futures in podcasting, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, unless Sorry.
2: you've had a movie career before it.
0: <laughs> I meant, I meant, I think this kid's got a future as your intern. Oh,
3: <laughs> yeah
2: so Modoc didn't work out, huh?
1: <laughs> no. he, he, was, he was too much like Louis Anderson.
0: <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh,
2: he hosted the Family Feud?
3: <laughs> That's who they should cast as MoDoc, as Louis Anderson. That'd be great.
1: Well, that was that was what we came up with when That's we did the right. MoDoc <laughs> issue.
3: You, you, you did that. That's right. I forgot that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could. yeah. Him and Arnold Zola together, that'd just be an awesome movie. Arnold Zola as, you know, the head inside the robot body. Honestly. Oh,
2: my God. I'm picturing a road comedy with the two of them now. <laughs> oh, I would pay real American money. To and see people, that,
3: they put that out, and people say, We can't get a Black Widow movie, but you get freaking <laughs> Arnhem Zola road, Modoc road comedy. Come on, I it's
2: want sweet. that Black Widow movie, I want it now.
3: I want the Black Widow movie where she's like looking for the Hulk. That would be get a Hulk movie, too. You know, oh, I mean, that would be so sweet. I mean, duh, take our money, man. Come on, and you yeah. guys brought up Supergirl, uh, uh, Professor Allen, and and that, uh, I'm just going to put it out there that Supergirl trailer. Got me a lot more excited than the Batman v Superman trailer did. You know, i looks like more fun. Yeah, it's like yep. it just looks, uh, man. That looks really, really good, really fun. And uh, I'm with Shag that uh, the Melissa Benoist. I'm not, I'm not familiar with her, but uh, just uh, you know, when I saw the pictures, i her uh, again, I'm aping Shag, but I thought the same thing. It's Like, oh, you know, she's she's attractive, she, she'll work, but then she just she's very charming in the. In the trailer and uh i think uh i think they got a good thing going there you know be- but
1: she, she's got the one thing behind her that gets the uh thumbs up for my daughter because apparently she's been on glee right <laughs> that's uh. all it takes for my daughter to give them the thumbs up
3: who knew glee was the superhero farm league you was know because it- great gustin came from glee too right so hey,
1: if
2: you can do comedy and and uh theater you can do anything yeah. That's right. well, that was
1: when we were watching The Flash, and they have the episode where they go to the karaoke bar when yeah. ah, right. when she talks him into to getting up and singing. My daughter was like, "Oh, and he's gonna, you know, he's gonna blow her away singing." And then he did.
2: Yeah, yeah. I would have tried to make a good impression on Linda myself. So
1: I think it would have been more amusing if she, if he had sang badly, having mm. been on Glee, and, <laughs> and, and you know, people know that he can sing well. For him to have sang badly, it would have been more, you know, just more comical. Right. But whatever, nobody cares what I think. No, <laughs> nobody who true. writes the Flash does or listens to the show. Or I don't
2: want them to know what you think because I'd want that show to just let's get season two right now. Let's go. Oh, I wish.
3: <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> dangled out so the
2: Hermes good. helmet, man. You can't do that. <laughs> that you can't do awesome. that and then not give me more. You know, you know, I am a little
1: just tentative about the fact that they are going to introduce Killer Frost because she's been such a she's – she's been a really good character on the show and I'm kind of like – disappointed that she's going to be relegated to supervillain on the show and probably it's, it'll be
2: one episode come on yeah. you know it'll only be one well
3: episode. if it's one
1: episode and then she returns back to her yeah they have to
3: you know you, you go back to,
1: to, to, to status quo after that yeah i'd yeah. love that that character but if, but if way too she becomes a villain and then you have to put her in the supervillain prison and whatever <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to be happy about that because she's been a good character on it yeah you can lock me in the supervillain prison with her hey you now
3: you guys see Sky High? Did you ever see Oh, that hell yeah. Movie? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. Her. that's her. That's her. I know. Absolutely. The, the and I
2: also her. saw her getting terrorized by Jason Voorhees. Uh, so you know, there you go. Oh,
3: was I she re- in the remake?
2: She was in the remake. I that's And that's the other reason I wanted to go and try to meet her. I'd be like, if she had an 8x10 of her with Jason, I definitely would have bought it. Because <laughs> I, I probably would have been the only jerk that'd be like, um, yeah, what was it like working on that remake?
3: <laughs> uh
1: all right, I guess it's time to move on to our independent. Oh, look at the time!
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's time to get independent together. <laughs> was, that, was, was that how that used to go?
2: Wasn't that one of those Christmas specials?
0: I'm independent. Really That's what I was thinking yeah, it's from him. Rudolph. Yeah, I'm. I'm independent. Yeah, me too.
2: I'm wh- whatever you said. Independent.
3: Hey, what do you say we both be independent together, huh? And he was the voice of uh, Peter Parker and Spider Man on the 60s cartoon. Yes. Uh, what's his name? Paul Souls, I think. Yeah, thank on God
2: mine, man.
3: I know it. Uh, my buddy Brian Heiler told me that. I'm like, you're crazy. And he's like, no. And yeah, it's true. So.
1: Facts for life.
3: Facts for life, yeah, there you go. Facts of
1: life? No, not the facts
3: of life. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and then you have, you know. The facts of life? <laughs> ah, there <laughs> we <What>? go. <laughs> Cindy gets spot. <spotting. laughs> she, 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 re-
1: she can't resist any Alan Thick written tune. <laughs> Who can?
3: Alan Thick wrote that?
2: Oh, yeah. That was his career
3: he wrote before it. he was an actor.
2: Silver All Spoons, stuff. that's
3: his... Wow, I had no idea. See, now I'm learning stuff. That's where the money is. Uh, Oh, yeah.
2: Because those things run in perpetuity.
3: Yep, that's right.
2: So independent. (laughs)
3: Ready? Uh, Yes, well,
0: our independent book is Justice Machine, featuring the Elementals, number four. The Justice Machine was created in 1981 one of the earliest independent comic book teams, that is according to JusticeMachine.com, who may be a little biased. but, But we're a really good source of information. The Elementals were created by Bill Willingham a few years later, appeared as a backup story in 1983 in the Justice Machine Annual, and that was Willingham's first published story as a writer. So a few years later, when Comico was publishing the Elementals, wanted to see if Justice Machine would be a good addition to their line. They did so with this team-up, this four-issue miniseries, Justice Machine, featuring the Elementals. This is issue number four, cover dated August 1986. The story, The Dreadnought Affair, was scripted by Willingham with art by Justice Machine creator Mike Gustavich. Do need to point out that I did not get this book for my traditional price point of a quarter. Oh no! Oh. I got it. I got it for less than a quarter.
3: <gasps>
0: this <laughs> a too much. This this was in a care package that Emily and I got a few months ago from faithful, relatively geeky listener Joe Crawford from Iowa. So the premise of the miniseries is that the four elementals have been plucked from Earth to the planet of Jorwell, and as anyone who stayed awake during twelfth grade English class knows. Any planet named Jorwell will be just a little bit totalitarian in a big brothery <laughs> sort of way.
3: <laughs> not,
0: not bearing the lead on that one. No. So the Justice Machine is the enforcement arm of the uh, strong-armed orderly society. So even though the two teams don't see eye to eye on much, they do realize they have a common foe in Dark Force, who is leading a demon invasion. We start this issue with the combined forces of the Justice Machine and the Elementals almost defeated. Things look grim. Our good guys come up with a strategy. They turn over one of their own, Talisman, to the bad guys. You see, Talisman's superpower is something sort of like karma or maybe just plain good luck. So they attempt to just shoot him dead, but before they're able to, the power goes out in the system and they're able to escape. The key is the gateway that Dark Force is using to bring in his swarm. In three days, they'll have enough demons to guarantee victory. In prior issues of the miniseries, the two hero teams didn't trust each other, so they created you know mixed squads of, of, of uh, characters from each team, and that was not effective. So now the elementals will work together on their part of the plan, Justice Machine on their part of the plan, fingers crossed that they can trust each other. And as our heroes begin to turn the tide, our villains, of course, start to squabble, and then the gate is busted. Yay! (laughs) And it turns out that the evil Dark Force and Dark Force's main counselor are, in fact, a daughter-father team with some Justice Machine backstory that I didn't quite understand. But it does somewhat resemble the creation of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. That's really all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) So I am merely the figurehead of that organization. Uh, Anyway, the Justice Machine promises a fair trial for Dark Force, which the Elementals are a little hesitant to agree to, given, you know, the totalitarian state of the government. But that's the best deal they can get. And using Talisman's luck power one more time, the Elementals are all able to get home, and they seem to probably live happily ever after.
3: The end. That was a great synopsis, and I have no idea how you wrote
2: it. <laughs> yeah, because I had no <laughs> idea what the hell was going on.
3: Well,
0: I mean, the key is you stare at each panel and you let the color bear into your eyes. And just as the background colors are, I don't know. This the, it
2: was it was hard to look in these panels. I'm not going to bury the lead. The, 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 this had some ugly ugly people at, but not good ugly people at. This <laughs> is. Was-
3: Oof.
0: yeah the, the, the backgrounds are so weird they're almost they're all single color you know solid colors with no rhyme or reason I mean there's nothing like you know like, you know modern coloring techniques where a, an artist is clearly trying to convey something with the colors these seem to be you know random uh, let's go with a nice cream for this one then we'll go yellow for the next one and then a nice light blue for the next one and eye burning green for the one after that. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible.
1: The back, yeah, the backgrounds are ridiculously sparse.
0: Yeah, and and again, totally inconsistently so. And and see, I didn't think the
1: artwork was bad. Uh, like I can I can see the ability to to render a good anatomical figure from various angles, but it almost feels like lazily put together. Uh, and then not even talking about the backgrounds, which is also kind of lazy, but. Like there's a lot of just long shots. It's not very dynamic. Um, it doesn't look like a lot of thought went into the storytelling. Yeah. so I, I mean it's it's like it's not it's not like offensive to the eye, but it's also not good. Uh,
2: it's it's only the it's the faces that bother me when you what that the uh, the panel where the the daughter is revealed, that Tell middle me. panel. Yeah, that, I, like I'm not gonna sleep tonight, guys. I'm sorry. That is <laughs> that is
3: frightening. That looks like a 50 year old chain smoker male in a in a ponytail wig. I mean,
0: it's, it's it yeah, looks. it's that, that is like something out of the vault. Let's start <laughs> monster horror tales. <Taylor laughs> that's
3: Taylor. too scary for the vault. <laughs>
2: this is yeah. I don't even know what to. I, like I can't. I can't really ob- objectively judge this because. I, I I need the rest of the story, and I honestly don't know if I'd even be able to understand it if I read the rest of the story.
1: <laughs> that's that's the thing is, I need the rest of the story, but I don't want the rest of the story. <laughs> oh, no, I don't.
3: <laughs> uh, points for getting Corsair from the Star Jam. I said the <laughs> same thing. Like, that's Corsair. I'm
2: like, no, it's not. And is he but gay?
3: They- is, is Corsair gay in this story? I mean, that's, that's cool. If he is, that's fine. But he, he calls the Titan guy, Titan baby. Can you hear me? Is he saying, hey, baby? Or is he, you know, I don't know if he's being, you know, uh, I don't know. <laughs>
2: I'm just imagining his backstory was that he was a former Vegas lounge singer.
3: Okay. So right.
2: there we go.
3: I just thought maybe, well, maybe this is more progressive than we thought it was, you know, in 84. In <laughs> but, you know. The panel where the Titan guy, like, the, the laziest page is he, like, busts the gate open, and there's absolutely nothing that he's punching. <laughs> exactly. It's like It's, like, design, you know, around it. I mean, you know. That, and all it says is, slam. Kazam.
2: Well, and piz-zow. don't forget, piz- piz-zow. 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 What, and, and What's with the design for his torso? It's, like, it's like he's wearing a... Like a like a tube top on top but not really and then he's sort of got like his midriff exposed It's and a then little
0: it's cosmic a... boy a little white yeah. it's yeah
2: there's a lot of
0: male flesh on those pages and I'm not yeah. I don't think I like it if
2: yeah. you're gonna have that like break in the uniform there just just have the shirt go up to where it meets the other part with his cloth like it doesn't make sense yeah I don't get it I don't know uh.
1: Yeah, and and the story was I, quite frankly, until you explained what went on in it, it was kind of incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah, I, fight, fight, fight.
3: Yeah, I mean th- this this is as a poster child for some amount of recap at the beginning of each issue. You know, I mean, because you're you're dropped right in the middle of this and you have no idea. I mean, I didn't get any of like I said, I, I applaud you for for being able to synopsize that way. I, I didn't get any uh, a lot of that. I'm like, oh, you know, I, I, you
0: know, I, I, I... I do think the shame is obviously that Willingham is a skilled. It's incredibly early in his career. Obviously, mm-hmm. a skilled, a skilled writer, a skilled world builder. Um, I mean, one of the. I, I love fables and, and what he's been able to do there. So I mean, this obviously again way early in his career. But there is, there are some things here that were interesting, not developed enough. Uh, this idea that the elementals really represent sort of our society and the justice machine really represents the 1984 world
3: mm-hmm.
0: and for the first couple of issues they're both viewing each other as the enemy mm. right and you know rightfully so in their context and there's some real sort of in, in there's an interesting subtle you know, commentary happening there then they you know they get attacked by the even bigger foe and they have to they have to fight together and you do get a little bit of that at, at the end this idea of you know I think if the elementals had their way the real good guys here they would you know try to set the justice machine straight um, you know but all of that subtlety is lost one thing in the wash <laughs> of the background characters <laughs> or background colors much less much less everything else so I think probably you know common with a lot of the independents in of the era some, some interesting ideas but. Way too young, way too green, way too undeveloped. Mm, yeah, I would agree with that.
3: Yeah, this I th- this feels like a you know a, a very uh, uh, you know this seems like this uh, the, a a black and white independent you would find uh, from a couple of guys who just kind of you know published their own comic and it's just right. the the coloring. I mean, I know the coloring's not that great, but the fact that it does have color and looks like a slick you know Marvel or DC book to a point, kind of kind of makes you think this is a you know more of a you know uh less of a sophomore or freshman uh, uh kind of deal here but it's it's not it's it's like you said it's very early in their careers and mike gustavich did some work for dc after this he did several secret origins issues and i think he may have even did some like he did work for roy thomas i think he made him did some infinity incorporated uh and he does get he does get better, like you know, like uh, Rufus would say. They do get better, uh, but <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I kind of I didn't really mind his. Some of his anatomy's a little weird, and some of the faces are weird. But the, the you know, there's there's potential there for the artwork. I think uh, it's just uh, yeah, that whole lack. I mean, when they cheat, when they've got a they got like two huge panels of nothing but black with word balloons that take up <laughs> two, over two pages. You know, I mean, that's—I mean, I know they—they they do that in comics, but it's like they're—they're—they're they're, they're really cheating a little bit here. And there's a lot of head floating head shots, and of course, at the same time, you know, they applaud Keith Giffen when he does that, but you know, they—but <laughs> but here we are giving this guy crap for it. But uh, yeah, it's—you uh, know—and then there's a couple of places like when this uh, girl that's on fire, the fire character. She's, like, walking out of the flames and on page, uh, was it 14? Uh, there, that looks like some like, – that must be a friend of his because her face looks like a photo reference. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> yeah. the only one in the whole book. So, you know, but, yeah, it's, it is it it is a very, very green uh, creative team, I think. But, like I said, the, the fact that Comico actually got comics on the newsstands, I remember that. I didn't buy any, but I remember – them coming into the drugstore. I bought most of my comics at them and uh, uh, some continuity uh, comics. And when they would go through spurts of publishing, and and later on, now comics actually made it into the drugstore. I bought comics from, so I remember them, and and but I didn't ever buy them. So, but but yeah. uh, you know, yeah, they
0: did. Uh, they were the original publisher of the Maze Agency, which was a book I covered here on bins, right a while back, um, they, they did a, uh, what's the other one I'm thinking? Oh, Evangeline, uh, an, an early Chuck Dixon work. That's, that's one of my favorites. Right. They had some interesting stuff, uh, but among the independents of the air, I think they, they probably take their whole, their whole list. Um, they're not one of the top tiers. I don't think.
3: Right. always, oh, go ahead.
0: I'm sorry. Uh, they at least for a while published grendel which was another one that i think was was well thought of at the time the, the mm-hmm. matt wagner book uh, yeah. uh, but again there were so many publishers that went in and out of business you know maze agency i mentioned was under at least two different publishers um uh Ev- evangeline i mentioned i think had something like literally like nine issues with three different publishers over five years Jeez. yeah i mean that's wow. that's you know that you know that that's how a lot of these these uh Mid to late 80s uh, independence were they'd be up for a couple of years.
3: Yeah, I know, like, Capital had like a bunch of like titles, and then that right. went bust and they went to first, and yeah, and, Ex- yeah.
0: exactly, exactly.
3: Yeah,
0: well, I I will give, <laughs> I will grade this, I will grade this, I will set this, I will set the stage. Okay, uh, it yeah, covers fine. Uh, it's a C, you've got two people back to back about the fight there's some you know bodies on the floor a little a little bit of design is in the uh, is in the cover c eh, c plus maybe the art on the inside again because of that that coloring uh, again i'm in a good mood so i'm just going to say c minus uh you could probably argue me uh, lower than that (laughs) and the story somewhere in a again now uh, uh joe did send me all four issues I I sat down and read all four pretty quickly a couple of weeks ago, so uh, I was able to get the whole story at one time. And there were some efforts there. I'm gonna go C plus on the story, partly because I'm judging the whole mini. So whatever that is, C overall. Eh.
2: Okay. Uh, Oh boy. Um, The cover uh, art. It's boring c minus uh I mean there's still t- this still way too much negative space on that cover um I mean they did try to you know do the little windowy things but and then the bodies in the foreground it's just sort of a blob you really can't make anything out c minus interior art. those faces man like uh, I can't even give it a c minus I gotta I gotta give it a D which is I mean it's a shame because that bad guy design is actually kind of cool but the rest of it just takes too much away. And the story I, I don't uh, I can't I can't really grade the story without having read the rest of it, which is kind of a cheat, but if I'm only reading this one, here's the thing that's damning. It doesn't make me want to read the other three. Um, <laughs> How so about I for
0: incomprehensible.
2: <laughs> or incomplete. But uh <laughs> I guess I guess it's another D. And that's I mean, that's bad. So I think that ends up being a, a D. <laughs> for an overall grade. Sorry. Sorry, Comico. Hey, you got to call it the way you see it. I don't want to see it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Uh, Chris? uh,
3: Well, you know, the cover's not bad. I I think, uh, I'm just now looking at it, I I, I think I'm going to have to knock my grade down, though, because I had thought it's not bad, but it could use some of the evil cow creatures or something surrounding them, and now I see they're actually in the background at the bottom behind the the lumped figures who are, you know, the heroes that are down in the front. So I'm going to have to knock it down a point. So I'm going to give it a C minus on that. Um, the figure work on the cover, the two main figures is it's not bad, and the TV screens. But yeah, there's a lot of negative space, as Chris said. uh The story, I, I'm going to have to go with just what I read. I got to give it a D. I just I couldn't. I couldn't understand it. The story that, that Professor Allen told through the synopsis was a lot better. I'd probably give that a good, a good C or B, B minus, but that's what I got to give as as the comic itself a D. Uh, the art, I'm a little more forgiving. Uh, I think maybe because Gustavich, like I said, he, he did some DC stuff I like. Uh, okay, later. Um, but yeah, some of the faces are really wonky, and I got to knock off points for. For that uh, that god awful little girl, um, so I'm going to give him that's <laughs> in our nightmares now. I'm going to give him a C minus uh, on that. So you know, I think that averages out probably to a C minus. So overall, which is probably a little too charitable, but I'm uh, I'm in a good mood, so <laughs> I'm having a good time. <laughs>
1: well, you know, going with the standard of C being average, which is what our standard is, uh, I agree with with chris tyler on the cover it's kind of boring uh so if c is average i gotta knock this down from that i I, if and and one of the standards i use is for an exceptional cover i start asking if it's iconic if it's not quite as exceptional i start asking myself if i were you know not a huge comic fan where i'm collecting everything and i was at the newsstand would this won't be one that would have caught my attention and made me want to buy it and quite frankly, the answer to that is no. Uh, See,
0: I think I, I think fundamentally this this may be where our difference is, Paul. Go ahead. What if you received it in the mail from a listener,
1: oh, it's,
0: then would you read it?
1: I didn't say I wouldn't read it. I, I read it when I received when when, when some, somebody kindly scanned it lovingly page See? by page and sent it to me, and I read it. Uh, but but would, would I would I actually reach into my pocket and pay money for this? And I got to say, no, I wouldn't. So uh the cover did not would not entice me to when i I'm saying d on the cover. uh I think you're right about the fact that Willingham had some more grand thoughts in what he was writing than what he was actually capable of putting onto the page uh and and I actually kind of think the same thing with Gustavich. I think he he had there the, the, you know you could see the uh the fact that, that they were trying, that they were trying to do more than, than their skill level was at at this point and and that they maybe developed into it a little better. But I'm going to say writing and art, both, uh, although ambitious, fail. So I'm going to say D on that as well. And basically I'm going D right down the line, D, 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 and that's what the book is. And it's greeted by silence.
2: Yes. <laughs> <A death. laughs> They, well, this one just takes a lot out of you, you know. It's...
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it's not, I mean, there, there are books where I say, oh, this is horrible. It was painful to read it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite at that level with it, but it was difficult to understand some of what was going on. Uh, and it wasn't helped by the artwork because the artwork didn't, wasn't as pleasing to the eye as it should be. And it wasn't as, as dynamic as it could have been. And it didn't tell a story as well as it could have. So when, when you yeah, add all that together, that. it's a below average book. <laughs> <laughs> so when you add <laughs> all together, it's a below average book. But you do, yeah. like, again, I think you could see the ambition there and then maybe the seeds of talent that eventually are going to develop unless that's just, you know, knowing that these two go on to better things, just kind of, uh, you know, just, just kind of taking that into account and seeing it because of that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not, you know, it's, it, it's not Apollo smile.
2: <laughs> Let us not speak ill of the dead. Oh no, he's not dead yet. I, I have I have a question for Professor Allen. Uh because uh, now at Evil Child that should be right up my alley, is there anything alluded to in the pre- prior three issues where even hints at this reveal that the little girl is the uh the big bad?
0: No, I th- I believe that is coming from prior continuities. Oh okay. That you'd have to bring from you know, prior iterations of the—I think of Justice Machine. Okay. So that did come out of the blue.
2: Okay, so we were was all the A same little page. creepy. I, and I and I should be all over that because that is creepy. That's awesome—a a tiny girl in a giant armored battle suit, sending people to their death. I, thats great stuff. Just uh, with her work, father
0: was, as her main lackey.
2: Yeah, which I, is, mean, I think there's
0: some of us here on this call who can identify with that. <laughs>
3: Suckers. <laughs> uh, it kind of reminded me of that. What's that Green Lantern, Green Arrow story where the little girl looks like Nixon and uh, and <laughs> it, spiral Agnews? The you know, you know what I'm talking about? That it's,
1: it's no, but it. it sounds it's, hilarious. <laughs>
3: oh, it's it's like a it's like Neil Adams being like over the top with you know he's like drawing the little girl to look like Nixon and she's got like powers and it's part you know it's during the whole hard traveling heroes thing but. I must have read
1: it because I've read the hard traveling hero stuff, but I don't remember the Nixon girl.
3: Yeah, it's like Nixon girl. That's a character
2: in the Legion of Superheroes, right? Nixon girl. (laughs) Substitute heroes.
3: Yeah, yeah. she can shake her jowls and cause tremendous shake, you know, tremors or something.
2: (laughs) But she's the only one who could go to China.
3: That's right. That's Corden (laughs) Spot.
2: You know the most interesting thing about Spiro Agnew. What's that? If you rearrange the letters in his name, it spells grow a penis. <laughs> and only you would know that. That's why I'm here.
1: I think th- I think uh, I think we found what we're going out of the episode on. <laughs>
2: I I hey I try I try to hit that mark on any show I'm on. <laughs> I want to be the last thing you hear. Unfortunately for everybody listening. Well, but before
1: we cut out, I just want to thank Dude, you three guys for coming on with me today. And uh, while while I'm thanking you all, you can come up with your closing line that will uh, that I will allow you to end the show with. But uh, you know, Alan and and Chris obviously Alan and Chris Tyler obviously have been here many times before and uh, have been. Uh, very willing guests, which I always appreciate, and and usually anytime I throw out the call, you guys come forward and uh, and you bring you always bring some entertainment value to the show, which I also appreciate. <laughs> Thank
2: uh, you,
1: Chris Franklin. I'm glad that we finally got a chance to talk, and and uh, you know I'd love to have you back again sometime because uh, you know it's been nice to have you.
3: Oh, it's it's been great. I, I appreciate it, and and I'll come back anytime. Just uh, just throw out the call, and I'll I'll come running.
1: I think next next time we go with the. Uh, the Back to the Bin Supermates uh, guest starring, and we get we get Cindy to come on to
3: That's great. Sounds great. I'll, I'll I'm sure she'd be uh, she'd love to come by.
1: Just you know, today we had her for a cameo, but you know, we'd have to get her <laughs> get her get her point of view on some comics. It's it's everyone. It's nice every once in a blue moon to get the female point of view. I mean, in the times I've been on the show, uh, the only female presence we've ever had is nope. the time when Emily was on, and when Bill has got his low T
2: going. <laughs> He is starting to kind of look like Meatloaf and Fight Club, so. <laughs> uh, let's not be mean to Doctor Bill, though.
1: He's, he's not he's, here. He's working hard to kick that uh, that Mountain Dew habit. Some warm
3: Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh. Man. I need to send Doctor Bill. There's a There's a drink we've got here, and uh, in, in in Kentucky we got this drink uh, called uh, L8 uh, that uh, is. Uh, it's like Mountain Dew amped up. Uh, oh, and, no. and yeah,
1: that's Mountain what he needs. <laughs> we got to amp him up a little. He's, he's too laid back.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: man. Uh. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's Game over.
1: Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms
0: via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook. Back to the Bins
1: is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.2truefreaks.com, and is a registered trademark of DiManzo of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Take a moment to stop by and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks,
3: and we'll see you next week. Oh God! I get, oh man! I think I like forced it down further now. <laughs> Put that in with no context, Paul.
2: Oh, f- you! <laughs>